Hey everyone, this is a continuation of last week's ongoing episode with Hernandez, a case study trying to teach him about how to arrange his financing for his first property purchase. Welcome to the Be Free RE podcast, where you learn how to make your job optional. I'm your host, John, who's just getting started on his journey. But in the last year, I moved across the country, bought four apartments, make money as a landlord, no longer pay rent, and I have my first child. I'm joined by your co-host and my guide, Tony Angotti, who in five years quit his job and now manages over 80 units through a combination of house hacks, flips, and partnerships. So with that, let's jump into how you can do less of what you have to do and more of what you want to do. So does it make sense for me to you know, pay more to get a lower rate, but then I have no liquidity if something goes wrong, if I lose my job? Like what makes sense, right? How much runaway do I need to have and all of that stuff? Like, should I be putting the whole 20% and get the lowest possible rate I can get? Uh, but then if something's wrong with the house, you know, like if people didn't check it right, if I didn't check it right and it was bad plumbing and now I need to spend 10 grand to fix that, you know what I mean? So that's kind of, those are the risks and the questions that I have right now. Yeah. Well, let's, um, I think like the second part of this is to sort of go through the numbers, how you're approaching it, how you're going to find a place and stuff like that. So let's take a brief pause. Uh, John will go over our sponsor for the episode. All right. Or I will. Yeah, sure. Go for it. I'd love to hear your sponsor. (laughs) Our sponsor today is Transmissions because mine went bad and it was a lot of money to replace on my car. So make sure you have great transmissions on your vehicle. Otherwise, it's going to be a bad day. But thankfully, because I house hack, I have extra money set aside to be able to just take care of things like this when they come up. All right. So that's been our sponsor today. And Tony's personal phone number is boop, 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 boop. Then you can just call him about your extended vehicle warranty is expiring soon. <laughs> I actually, though, thankfully, that was the other thing I didn't want to go into too much because I don't really want to sponsor car warranties. But I do. I did buy a car wow. warranty. Yeah, what? on this. Uh, I can't believe it. Was, it was a used vehicle, so I bought a three-year car warranty, and they covered all but two hundred and fifty dollars. So that was all right. nice. But all right, guys, this was nice. I just found out that I can't trust you guys, and some other time. There you go. Well, right. anyway, so now moving into the, you know, we'll move into the second part here. So as far as like you said, you had some questions on the numbers of what you're doing. Um, we can go into that a little bit. So I guess first, as far as your maybe the first step in buying a house is usually getting pre-approved. So we can just talk about what our financing questions you have. So uh, I I did the basics. What I considered is the basics. Um, you know, I went to better.com and I put up my income information and they gave me like a range of like, hey, you could buy a house up to $950,000. And I'm like... But that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem responsible. <laughs> and then I put $600,000 and I got pre-approved for 600000 And now I'm starting to think like, oh, man, I like this $650,000 house that I just found in Redfin. But I'm assuming that, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming that, you know, they would throw another 50K if I really need it. But yeah, I don't really know. So here's so on this end, like those are useful. Those online things are useful to begin with i guess for information but if you're getting serious about buying you really need to talk to a bank or a mortgage broker or somebody that can go through this situation with you and get you to like approve that way because a lot of those people like the online is just going to give you something that looks nice sometimes they're not really going into your finances so 
you could kind of get screwed when you actually offer. And if they don't actually write the loan for you, then that might not be the best situation. So the advice there would be to actually talk to... I usually tell people as an agent, talk to a bank and talk to a mortgage broker and see who you like more. Because the bank is only going to have the products that the bank offers. And the mortgage broker, they're going to like shop your situation around to a bunch of different lenders and then try to match you with a product that works best for you. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both of those, which um, would be a whole separate conversation for the show. But just know that you should interview both um, mortgage broker and bank and then select one of those. That makes sense. But then my question becomes, my questions go towards like timelines, right? So if I think about it, like, let's say it takes me a year to find this deal, right? It seems like based on what John is saying that it could take me a while. So let's say it takes six months. And if I get pre-approved now, my financial situation will be a bit different by then. And will the offer even be valid by then? Or do I have to keep updating my numbers with the lender? You know, if I get approved right now or pre-approved right now, and I don't talk to him for six months, what happens? You mm-hmm. know? It's basically like a, a mortgage broker planted that question with you. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so uh, But no, basically the pre-approval will be good for usually like 60 to 90 days, and then you'll need to update it. Um, however, it's usually pretty easy to update once you've already got the process started. So you can just get it done and then... Once you start to find, like, once you get closer and closer to actually pulling the trigger, you can just send them your updated information to get it done then. The, the, I guess, thing that most people are worried about by doing that is they're worried about the credit pools affecting their credit. And I'll just say that I have very good credit, but because I do a lot of real estate investing, I, I have probably like, if I looked at my credit report right now, I bet I have 20, 25 or 26 inquiries on my credit report. So it's like, and my credit's still very good. The inquiries affect your credit not that much. And additionally, if you shop around lenders at one time to try to get a good thing, which does it doesn't answer your question directly, but while you're looking for that first one, if you I don't you have to look this up for the timeline, but within so much time, if you're shopping for the same type of loan, they don't hit your credit negatively for like each inquiry. It's like a shopping yeah, it's like a 30 day window where your credit gets, uh, you know, should I get that's good to know, but it, like, should I, in terms of numbers, should I get the number that I think I'm going to spend with the house? Like, my best guess, should I get a higher number? Because, you know, this, if I think about buying a $600,000 house and they, they pre approval, the, the website says that I could get up to $900,000. Like, should I be going well, a little higher? Well, when you actually do this, it's going to be the person that tells you how much you can afford, not the website, because. I don't want to see you go to a website. That's not the best way to do this. You want to go to like a person that's going to go through this with you. But you should just get pre-approved for whatever the max that they say you can afford is so that you know the top end. Because then whenever you actually go... I mean, you don't need to use the max. In fact, I wouldn't even recommend using the max because the max is like stressing your finances as far as they can go. Um, but you want to know what that top end number is just so that you have an idea of what's, what you can do. And then from there, when you offer on houses, you'll just get a revised letter that shows the offer price as the pre-approval so that the seller doesn't know how much you can afford. Um, but your, which, whichever agent you work with should be 
competent enough to do that. If they're not, then you need to fire them and find somebody else. So. <laughs> well, so so I have a stupid question on that. Sorry, Rose, was that? No, I was just going to, you know, for your benefit, because I know you have some things moving around in your life, you know, you're basically just getting a number right now so that a realtor will take you seriously, right? And then right. whenever you are actually hot and heavy with an actual deal, your lender is going to re- re-underwrite you no matter what, right? They're going to take you through the full underwriting process when that time comes. So, you know, right now you're just trying to get a piece of paper that says, you know, I might be an idiot, but at least I have a piece of paper that says I'm worth this much from somebody. (laughs) And then, you know, the next step is actually finding a good lender that's going to be responsive, exactly like Tony said. So imagine you're making an offer on a house for $300,000, but, you know, your prequel says 900. Well, that's not going to help you in your negotiation. Because <laughs> then they're going to counter you and say $900,000. Well, yeah, maybe not that much, right? So right, but they could. You're going to need a responsible uh, financing partner that's going to recognize that situation and, you know, come in and say, yeah, he's good. He's good for whatever, 303 and 28 yeah. cents or whatever. The other, the other thing here too on the having the person is that as a listing agent, so I'm a realtor as well. Um, and as a listing agent, when I list a house, if I get an offer from a buyer and I don't recognize the lender, I'm going to try to call the lender and vet the lender that gave them that pre-approval. And if you just went on some stupid website, I'm not even going to get a hold of somebody. So if you're competing with another buyer where I can get a hold of the lender and like pre-qualify them, I'm not taking your offer. Like, sorry, I don't even care if it's a little bit higher. I'm still not advising my seller to take that if I haven't been able to vet the lender to say like this person knows what they're doing. Because if the lender is not very good, then that can blow up my deal for my seller. And then I it has to go back on market and that's wasted time, energy, stigmatizing the property, everything. So that's that's the thing. But yeah, for your pre-approval, just get it like to the max and then go from there. So I, in terms of getting the max and etc., I have one stupid question there uh i think uh let's say i want to get a house and then i want to fix it up to get that maybe short-term appreciation right that costs let's say the 50 grand that is going to take me to invest in a house could i also include that as part of the loan or am i going to have to get that out of pocket like am i going to have to actually have the down payment money and the fix up the house money or can i just include that in the loan for the house Okay. People ask this all the time. So generally speaking, the loans that involve like owner-occupant loans that involve renovation money are a gigantic PETA, which is a pain in the ass. They're just like a total headache to buy, to go through the process with. Like the appraisals are obnoxious because they do an after renovation repair appraisal. It's just... it's. A giant mess. So it's a lot, e- and, and your offer is not very desirable to accept. Like right. if I'm a seller, I don't even, I don't want to deal with that. There's added risk there of your loan getting approved. So I don't, no thank you, unless I'm desperate. But um, what you can do is that if your finances are pretty solid, you could get like a personal line of credit ahead of time for like, $25,000, whatever. They've been handing those things out like they're candy. I, I haven't got one since COVID happened. So I don't know if that changed. But pre-COVID, it was like you could go to anybody and they were just doing stated income lines of credit. You could just go say, I make this much. They run your credit. Congratulations, you're approved for $75,000, whatever. So that would just be like a way easier path for you 
if you're if you're trying to finance your renovation money to make your offer still desirable because if you hit a seller with a renovation loan and they're not absolutely desperate there i you'd rather just take another offer because there's so many moving parts even as an agent if i have a buyer that wants to do that i usually try to find any other way to get them to go down that path because i just know i've had people try this all the time and most of the time, not anymore, because I know to tell people to not do them. But at the beginning, when I was newer, people would try those all the time. And it was like, very few of them worked out. I think the only ones I ever had work were where people had family members that were contractors. <laughs> because, then, yeah, because then they usually ask you for a contractor to go through and yes, there's a whole process with their bids, and the project and all the paperwork. And most contractors it's not worth their time to do that with you. So unless you have a personal connection with a contractor to do something like that, that's going to be a hurdle to overcome. So I was doing there are no tax breaks in that, right? Unless I was doing the Airbnb route in which I would say, hey, I spend an extra 25 or 50 grand in this house. Could I get a tax break, right? Um, but I guess if it's home, you're definitely not going to get anything. Is that right? It's not really like... I don't, I don't even think of it as like a tax break thing. I don't I don't even know the answer to that question to be honest because I've never really thought down that. If you're using financed money to spend on repairs, I don't even think you I don't know if you even get to write that off as far as repairs. Maybe, I don't know. It would be different if you pulled it from a line of credit because if you pulled it from a line of credit then I believe you would just be paying the interest, but you would still be spending the money. That's a question more for an accountant though because I that's like a very specific situation. And on my end, I'm here. Yes, finally, yes. Something that Tony doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can give you an unqualified answer. (laughs) I mean, but I won't. I won't do that on the air. My feedback to you, Hernandez, would be also like just in the housing market you're in, it's going to be very difficult for you to be competitive with uh, a loan product like that. And also in the current market for mortgage originators, it's going to be very challenging for you to get their time. It's like. It's still refinance season. Loan volumes are some of the highest they've been uh, because rates are so low right now. So for them to take, you know, your application and really walk you through this process of of finding the vendor, and it might be a sixty day close, so the seller has to be highly motivated. But you know, a highly motivated seller with a house that actually qualifies for this kind of loan product is very rare in your market anyway. You know, so it, it's um. I was very oddly, I was just looking at doing this exact thing that Tony recommended. So I was looking at First Republic Bank. I was going to refinance some student loan debt and they actually don't do that anymore. They only offer personal lines of credit at like two and a half percent right now. And they they don't care what you use it for. I mean, that's not true. But in general, uh, they're not super discriminating about it. So uh, the rates on those personal lines of credit are even, you know, uh, it depends on who you are. They're going to underwrite you. But I mean, they're very competitive. So that uh, you know, if you're looking for some walking around money, uh, that seems like a really, I, I think that's a great advice from Tony. The other, the other benefit too, is like, if you use one of those loan programs and you get money for renovations, you're going to have to pay the contractor to do everything. So like, even if it's painting, you'll have to pay a contractor to paint if you're going to use money from that budget. But if you have a line of credit set up to do it, you can just go buy the $500 and paint with your line of credit and go paint yourself. And it's like, 
Well, if you're me, you'll paint yourself because I get more paint on myself than I do on the walls, but whatever. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, in any event, that was a dudooch. You have to throw a sound effect in, John, or something. <laughs> I left. Um, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. It was go. dumb, but whatever. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll take what I can get. But yeah, so that's like another benefit is you can actually do some of the work yourself for the stuff that's not very challenging. I mean, the vast majority of cosmetic crap you can figure out yourself just watching some jabron on youtube do it so i'm also hearing that that's great advice and that kind of solves my problem because i thought the only alternative to that until i hear the short-term financing option was well then maybe answers it answers my previous question which is hey maybe i have to put a smaller down payment and maybe just make a five percent down payment so i can have some fix up money but the other thing that it's uh that it's coming to my mind when you say that is that yeah maybe you know i can definitely take care of the painting but I probably, for my first home, shouldn't get a house that it's like completely messed up, right? Like, I, we're yeah, probably no. should get too much complexity. Painting job, or you know, some nice, you know, kitchen appliances and etc. Yeah, you don't want a gigantic project. No, thank you. Just keep the scope to like stuff that you could reasonably figure out yourself. Paint, flooring. Mm, hardware changes, basic stuff. Depends how handy you are. I don't know, but it's not very hard to figure not out. Zero well, handy, the least handy person you've ever met in your life. It's true, man. I've met him. It's 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 tough. I, some people can't he, work with their hands. He man. tries to he tries to hammer in a screw. Yes. Uh, anyway, all my tools, all my entire tool set is leftover IKEA Ali wrenches. <laughs> That's literally my. Do that. My my wife, it's not proud of that. You're more qualified than some contractors I've run into. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so, uh, but yeah, and then your question as far as down payment too, like that's a personal preference with risk and like how you feel about it. But my take on it is I always want to use the minimum down payment possible because if you want to pay more money every month or something, you can. Same thing with like the years, like some people like 30 years versus 15 years. I'll take the 30 year every day because if you want to pay at the 15 year rate, you can. But if you ever get in some kind of financial problem or something, you can fall back on the 30 year rate. Same thing with the down payment. Like the money in my pocket now is worth a lot more than it being trapped in my house because if something big happens to me, I need that cash. And if it's stuck in your house, you got to refinance or something and that's the only way you can tap into it quick. So you're usually way better using whatever low down payment loan option there Even is. Even if I get a, a little bit of a worse rate, because I mean, if you really mean that, like that means I could, pro- I should probably go after an FHA loan and just bit put three point five percent of my. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a personal thing, right? So if you're like, if you only, if you're, let's say you only have like a hundred thousand dollars, you should not put a hundred thousand dollars down on the house and then not have any savings like you should minimize it but if you could put a hundred thousand dollars down and that be your 25 percent down payment and then still have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank then sure do that because you still have savings but you want to have money set aside because the second you buy a house especially a house where you're going to have tenants or something when something breaks you can't just let it go you have to fix it and you have to have money to fix it i i tell people all the time the only time that real estate investing is truly stressful beyond just the day to day, you're pissed off at somebody, they're a jerk, they wronged you, blah, 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 uh, measuring contest going on. The only time it's really stressful is whenever um, 
you don't have money to fix something that needs to be fixed or when you don't have money to get through a stressful situation. So like you just whatever your personal financial situation is, just make sure you have savings backed up to fix like a few major things. Like you're in LA, like you should be able to fix the air conditioner the day it breaks. You should be able to like fix the roof when it's busted, like at least a repair. Like you need to have money set aside for that because if you don't, then this is a real bad decision. Like applies to people that get in that are obsessed with the low no money down thing. Like, I, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I have nothing, but I want to flip houses. And it's like, well, that's great. It works for some people, but the some people is like a small number. And then there's a bunch of other people who try that and they get burned. And it's like financial problem, credits trashed, repo man, all that stuff. So like you really got to have savings set up. And then, you know, usually to have the maximum amount of savings, you're going to be in a lower down payment product. So I don't know. What's your like, would you be able to put 20% down and still have money set aside to like do these repairs if they come up? He's on mute. Dude, Zoom call. Sorry, on the sorry, max. sorry. Uh, only if I use the 401k money to do that. Uh, yeah, so, so I they don't. pull that off. But yeah, I don't. mean, technically, don't. it's fine to pull up money out of the 401k, right? Because it's like it doesn't really ruin you if you pay it back. But no, but why would you take the money out of a tax shelter and like then pay then pay it as a loan to yourself? Like just use the lower down payment product and then have money set aside for stuff. Like even if it's a little bit of a higher rate. Yeah, because I and mean, you're rate, a, a little beginning. bit of a higher rate. Like right now, the rate's like two five. So what? It's going to be three two. Like what's inflation in the United States it's over? Better to have money in hand and invest it in a market or something. Okay. Yeah, for sure. There's because I mean, also just not the math part of it. It's just breathing room, man. Like where? Yeah. You know, the AC does conk out, and then you're not having this fight with your wife, and she's like, "I told you, we should have just got the house and." You know, we should have just stayed in Santa Monica. Why are we doing this? A man who had more tools would have never done this to me. You know, it's just, uh, oh man, you know, there's something about peace, husband. man. There's something about peace that's invaluable. You said yeah. you could fix the microwave. You can't fix the microwave. Yeah. I can't, man. The clock can't. is still we had to, flashing. We had to pay that goddamn Loch Ness Monster 350 to fix that microwave. Yeah, man. I simple my standing desk and that was the accomplishment of the month. Well, that's a good that's accomplishment right there. Yeah. It only a took healthy. me two days. Yeah, whatever. Two days well spent. <laughs> sort of. Anyway, yeah. So what's, do you have any other questions on like financing side for two no, I think, unqualified I think, answers? I think I'm in much better shape than I was in the beginning of this conversation now. I just, um, so I guess the plan for the financing is just to try to go with like a much lower than down payment that I was thinking. Give me some breathing room and to, you know, prevent any catastrophes in my finances and my marriage, according to John. <laughs> but I do think, uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm sure I'll be, I'll have more questions about the finances. We talk about the other things, but. All right. That does it for part two of our series. Stay tuned for part three, where we talk about how to find a realtor.